Noble Together is a podcast designed with you in mind, the parent who wants to partner in their child's education from the classroom to the car line. Our goal is to create conversations that provide shared vocabulary and strategies to help our children thrive. We could do this alone, or we can teach our children to be noble together. Welcome to episode two Leading with Empathy. I'm your host, Cassie Mason, and today we will be featuring our very first guest on Noble Together, the founding headmaster of Archway Arte, Neil Gillingham. I'm so excited for you to hear all the words of wisdom that he has to share with us. It was a great interview, lots of fun. Together, Mr. Gillingham and I will share some highlights and personal takeaways from chapter two of Michelle Borba's book, Unselfie. If you have your copy at home, go ahead and crack it open to chapter two and follow along with us. To close, I'll give a sneak peek at next month's podcast and hint at who our special guest for episode three will be. But before we dive in real quick, I want to say thank you. The response to our first episode has been so encouraging and so engaging. I've appreciated the conversations that have naturally overflowed as a result. And this is really my hope for this podcast, to help parents connect, of course, first and foremost with their children, but a close second for parents to connect with other parents as well as their children's teachers. So hopefully this podcast can be that launch pad into those really important, hopefully fun conversations with others. Speaking of that, in the notes section below this episode, there's a survey where you can ask questions or share topics that you hope will be addressed in future episodes of Noble Together. I would so love to hear from you. Now, let's dive into chapter two of Unselfie, Empathetic Children Have a Moral Identity. joining me today. Good to be here. (laughs) I did kind of give some clues in my last podcast about who you might be. I did promise everyone you were a class clown. This is true. Yeah. In high school, I was was voted class clown Mm -hmm. at Thunderbird in Phoenix in 1996. Okay. Gave away my age there. (laughs) Class clown, was there anything else that you were awarded in high school? I was also prom king. Yeah, this is true. Can you share with us your background as an educator? So you've been doing this for quite a while. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. So this is, uh, so I've been with Great Hearts for 17 years um, and was teaching for five years before uh, coming to to Great Hearts. So 22 years total. Um, uh, Post high school, uh, I, uh, I studied art did not want to be a teacher that wasn't really on my radar. I wanted to be an artist. Um, turns out that it's difficult to make a living uh, in the arts. Um, not that that was a complete shock to me, but uh, and so post college, I was just really just kind of looking for a day job, something to support my my art habit, and uh, and found that I could substitute teach. And make a hundred dollars a day which for me at the time was like all the money in the world or at least all the money I needed and it turned out I liked it so I went back got a master's degree in elementary education and the rest is history so you're the founding headmaster you've been here the founding yes yeah. all all ten years yeah uh, as have you been here all that is true ten years yes. Uh, hired you as a second grade mm-hmm. yeah. teacher and then 
Dean of Students, and then of course in your current role as Assistant Headmaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, next step for you as president of <laughs> Great Hearts. Well, you know, not to brag, but I was voted most likely to succeed in my okay. school yearbook. So. That's very different than class <laughs> clown. I wish, I wish. No, no. I wish I was voted most likely <laughs> to succeed. Actually, my friends from high school are often very very surprised and a little confused <laughs> at my uh, current job. I don't think uh, I don't think most people saw me as destined to succeed in any real in any real way. Although I did, I mean I got good grades. I okay. did get good grades. I was a good student. Mm -hmm. Well, so you've been very successful, I will say here at our academy. This episode, Thanks. you're welcome. This episode is leading with empathy. So the focus on it, it's chapter two of Borba's book, how to lead with empathy, not only, you know, in your vocation, but in your home mm -hmm. as a parent, you have two, mm -hmm. two young children. So we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But before we get there, the title of chapter two is empathetic children have a moral identity. Let's clearly define what a moral identity is. So Borba defines the basis of moral identity as the pro-social image deposits in our children's identity banks that allow them to define themselves as caring, responsible people who value other people's thoughts and feelings. She says on page 27, quote, those pro-social descriptions form our kids' sense of self. We generally behave in ways consistent with our self-image so if we want our kids to be empathetic, they must see themselves as caring and learn to value the thoughts and feelings of others. Now, Mr. Gillingham, when I think of your leadership style here and how you've led us, that really um, describes you very well. I think part of your natural leadership style fits very well with this idea of empathy. Can you share a story that Borba uses to define that idea of leading with empathy and having that moral identity. There's a story on page 26, Captain Sully. Can you can you share that with us for, for just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, really interesting story. I, of course, I had, you know, followed the, the accident in the news, but I, I didn't really know his biography, kind of the story behind the story. So for those of you that don't know it, so Captain Sullenberger or Captain Sully, was the pilot of, of an aircraft that crashed on, well, had to make a crash landing on the Hudson. And uh, so there, was, there were 150 passengers, took off from New York and immediately hit a flock of geese. So that cut the engines to the plane and Captain Sully had to make, you know, an emergency sort of decision and decided that really the only sort of plausible solution was to land in the Hudson. And so he did. The plane landed. It was a rough landing, but landed safely. And after landing, Sully made sure that all 150 passengers were able to disembark safely before he himself left the plane. And then he further goes on to tell a story of where did this, like, where did this sort of courageous spirit come from? And, um, and certainly it came from his, you know, his mother and father that uh, instilled a, a sense of moral identity. 
but he traces it back to one particular moment when he was watching television with his mom and dad and they're watching a news program and I won't get into the details because they're probably kids listening but there was a woman on this news program that was um, was fatally injured and when she was hurt she was calling for help the news reports were that there were I think dozens of people that heard her crying for help but no one got involved no one went to help her saying essentially that they didn't they didn't want to get involved they didn't want to you know get in the middle of something and that had an impact on him so Sully decided you know as a child that he would never do that he would never be the kind of person there's that moral identity mm -hmm. he would never be the kind of person to see someone in trouble and do nothing so carrying that forward to the the crash landing on the Hudson he saw himself as the kind of person that would make sure that every other person gets off the plane before he himself disembarked and that's that's what he did yeah thank you so much he is combating that that feeling of apathy that he witnessed with that action no one who needs my help will ever be abandoned and he lived up to that so talking about mantras that seemed to be his mantra right Sully said no one in danger will ever be abandoned not on his watch are there any mantras that you find yourself repeating either at work or in the home as as Borba talks about creating that vocabulary yeah well we're, we were talking about this earlier and I don't know that I have a a particular mantra I mean certainly there, there are things that I I come back to and maybe uh, are often repeated here here at work or or in the in the home yeah hearing that idea of a mantra that that is something that I would love to codify I think there I think there is power in naming something so you know naming your values as a family, naming your values uh, in 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 the workplace. I certainly I don't know I, w I don't mean to jump ahead. I I would say that I have like a particular kind of leadership style, yeah. and so so I'm sure embedded in that are you know certain things that I say or think or come back to. Yeah, as you were talking about values, I think we have that established here with our teachers at least, right? We hire helpful, humble, compassionate individuals as our filter of who will fit culturally here with, with the atmosphere we're aiming to create, yeah. embodying that ourselves as leaders. Now you were, you were in the room when we came up with those values, helpful, humble, compassionate. Uh, would you say more about how did we come to those particular values. Yeah, I'll try to remember that was what, eight years ago? That was eight years eight ago. Eight years ago. Yeah. Our, our second going into third year of school here. So we made a big list, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, teachers that we would love to multiply, have more of if we had our yeah. pick, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's list those teachers and then not just the teachers, but describing the qualities that yes. they have, that they display, they they live out every day. So we would have, I think in the group we had maybe 10 different individuals and each one listed maybe five different teachers. And then under those teachers, the, the, the different uh, character that they modeled and then we took the most frequently listed characteristics, yeah, 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 
and what came up most frequently on those lists that everyone created were helpful, humble, and compassionate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really, yeah, the, the consultant that we worked mm -hmm. with at the time, James Felton, uh, led us in this exercise. And the, yes, the, you, you did it, per, you explained it perfectly. And I, I think the thing that was so powerful for me was it wasn't this like abstract, aspirational sort of thing. It was, um, it was what are the, who are the people in your organization that are already mm -hmm. doing good work and why? Like what kind of, what, what kind of, um, you know, characteristics do they have? And then just as you said, by plotting those and sort of grouping those characteristics, we came up with helpful, humble, and compassionate. And so that's, that's guided who we are ever since, um, from who we hire to how we hold one another accountable, accountable to uh, the sorts of things that we celebrate um, here. So, yeah, so fair to say that would be a mantra. Mm -hmm. That's something that, so. you know you and I say a yeah. lot. Um, and then, uh, and that in turn is is of course in service to our our primary mission, which is uh, to uh, nurture a love of intellectual and moral virtue. Mm -hmm. So let's strip all that away and just talk about you for one moment yeah here, my favorite right? topic like, <laughs> let's talk let's talk more about me that's good go. that's good so take yourself out of all of that right your environment i i believe that had you not landed at this school and you landed at a different school maybe in the network the environment would match what arte is now because you are the leader and you set that tone so maybe think back to when you first put on that headmaster hat was it a conscious decision? I'm going to be this type of leader. Did it come naturally? Was it influenced by books you read? People, probably all of that, but yeah. describe that leadership style that you've kind of landed on. What I would call my leadership style is collaborative. Mm -hmm. Collaborative in that I think that the best ideas come from the people doing the work. So um, it's not purely democratic. I don't make decisions by taking a straw poll, but I do like to probe. Mm -hmm. I do like to ask questions. I'm a wonderer. And so I do like to engage in conversation with people that I trust to arrive at the best solutions. And there's, you know, and, and there's, uh, I think other important things that happen with that. Not only do I, I truly believe that we'll, we'll kind of land on the optimal um, path forward for our school, but I also think by by including and engaging other employees, other members of the community, it also creates a buy-in and a shared sense of ownership of this is an important direction for, for our school. How does that translate in your home with your kids, if I might ask? So talking about the mantras again, family mantras, what do you find yourself repeating either internally or externally in your home regarding moral formation or that moral identity i think with kids it's different right you know we're we're there to shepherd and and uh and help shape um and my daughter evelyn is eight my son charles is four um and i would say i, I would say my my daughter is coming to an age where I think she has a, a sort of a greater voice 
and who we are as a family. I think, uh, you know, if, if you ask my, my son, like, who are we as a family? We're a family that likes trucks and zombies. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know that he can yet see outside yeah. of himself and, and, and see, the, see the bigger picture. And yeah, again, I, I really like the idea of, of, of mantras. I don't know that we have a, a family mantra, but I do think, but we are very, uh, Julie and I are very, very conscious of creating a moral identity for our kids. Um, and I, I had never really named it in that way until reading Borba's book, um, but, but nurturing kind of a, a, a sort of a family kind of ethos and morality uh, is, I think, something that we certainly try to do, and and perhaps, well, I guess I would say it's it's something we try to show our kids and sort of try to live out in mm -hmm. our lives, rather than something that we're necessarily saying or or teaching explicitly, yeah. if yeah. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. We had one. I think we stumbled upon it just. By the sheer fact that I kept repeating it as my kids were small, I found myself saying people are more important than things. People are more important than mm, things. That's nice. Right? When they're arguing over sharing a toy if they had a play day and a friend was over or their cousin broke something of theirs that was really special. Yeah. People are more important than things. And that, not intentionally, this was before I read Boraba, but it, it just kind of has now looking back framed our family culture and our home and just priorities, I guess. So yeah, yeah it doesn't have to be, it wasn't a, a long conversation or something Joe and I really brainstormed together, but just it just kind kept of coming. Mm -hmm. Sort of organically. Yeah, yeah, Julia says something says something similar to her kids all the time. It's something like, you know, Evelyn, your relationship with your brother is more important than yeah. X, yep. more important than that toy more important mm -hmm. than the dessert that you mm -hmm. that you're you're fighting over. Um, mm -hmm. Again, not something that we discussed as a family, but uh, um, but certain certainly something that reflects our values and and um, I think it's important for our kids to hear. Yeah, Borba claims that in the Western world we have an epidemic. On page 28, she says narcissism is still increasing and that's troubling news for helping children develop solid moral identities. Kids who feel entitled focus on their needs and their feelings. They direct their perspective on their experiences and they see the world through their eyes. Left out of their picture is anyone else. And there go the opportunities to learn and to value others. So, we, I mean, we've seen this, right? The Hallmark holidays mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that are popping up. Our culture has made this shift. Have you seen it in your, your years of experience and education? And how might we combat that? Yeah, so the, I think there, uh, Borba is naming something that's very real, which is this, this rise of narcissism um, in our society. Um, and I think it's been going on for for decades, honestly, I think it's it's been accelerated with with technology. Um, I think it started with sort of a well-intentioned, sort of well-meaning paradigm uh, in probably the 1970s with the self-esteem movement, right? The idea that um, well, if we just get kids to love themselves, then all will be well, 
what they what they neglected to sort of you know factor into that calculus is if you start with self-esteem it's hollow meaning if you divorce a sense of like well-being and self-worth and pride from good works from good actions it's meaningless and really kids know that so if you're fluffing up their egos without attaching it to to good and noble deeds ultimately well uh, either they'll recognize that it's hollow that's that, that's actually the best uh, possible outcome or they don't recognize it's hollow and it leads to a narcissism um, and I think this is this is something that that I think great hearts as an organization is very much looking to counter right with with uh, with a focus on objective truths objective goodness um, a focus on virtue which is uh, Yes, about developing oneself, but it's really about developing oneself in relationship to the other, right? Like, how can I, how can I be of service? How can I do good? Um, you know, what is my place in my community? What is my place in my school? What is my place in my family and in, in, in the larger world? So I think it's been around for a long time, and and this again is something that that Great Hearts is 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 sort of swimming against this current. But I do think it's been accelerated by technology. And I think technology, especially social media, can be isolating for kids. It does create, it can create a sort of sense of like self-absorption and uh, sort of a, a focus that's, you know, all about me, right? The selfie that, 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 uh, that Borba takes her title from is, is really something that, that rose out of technology and so, yeah, I think that's something that's something that we're looking to to counterbalance. That's very well said. Before we close, I want to touch on one thing because I've heard you mention this before in conversations, and the the movement of looking inside yourself for truth. Mm-hmm. You've you've mentioned objective truth in this conversation today. What would you have us do, or what caution would you leave us with, as far as? Uh, that line of thinking, look inside yourself for the truth. How is that potentially limiting? That, that sort of relativistic paradigm is very pervasive in, in modern society. I would say so pervasive that um, most of us don't even see it. It's just, it's just assumed, right? The, the adage, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder is just sort of a modern truism, meaning um, each individual is the arbiter of what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. And there are many, many problems with that, uh, but what, what, what happens with that is if, if, there is no, there, if there is no objective truth, if there is no objective good or, or beauty, there's nothing to bind us. There's nothing to... Um, there's nothing that we're, we share in common. We don't have any common pursuits. And really, really, the fact of the matter is, if you really drill down, uh, I think with anyone, and, and sort of challenge that notion of, of relativism, I think it actually breaks down pretty quickly. So it's actually not a difficult thing to unravel if you are consciously mm-hmm. uh, aware of it. Yeah. 
and so important in the classroom, right? To not shy away from telling a child, nope, that's not right. That's wrong. That's a wrong answer. Right. Normalizing error. So yeah. important. And then you have the misplaced compassionate teacher that wants to yeah. say, oh, that's close. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that could be true. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? right? Yeah. Not wanting uh, to hurt. Yeah, I guess up is down now, uh-huh. that, it, now yeah, yeah. that I think of it. I don't want to hurt your feelings, right? Yeah. Um, children are much more resilient than we give them credit for. Well, thank you so much, Neil, for coming. Yeah. Spending On my a day vacation, off with me. No less. I know. Yes. It's very well, noble likewise. of you. Yeah. And I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, and I'm excited about your podcast. Um, I think you're the you're the perfect person to do it. You're a uh, an excellent uh, thinker in the classical tradition. Well, thank you. And I will say to close, it was all your idea. I will give you that. <laughs> well, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. Well, so. d- you did say you started by saying that I'm a good delegator. Well, so go. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I I I had the idea, but mm-hmm. but knew that I was not the right person <laughs> to bring it to fruition. It was you. So well, I'm, I'm glad happy you're to doing do it. it. All right, thank yeah. you. Thank you. As always, Borba doesn't leave us without hope. So what can we do as parents, as educators, to better equip our children to think outside of themselves? One of the ideas that she has that we discussed a little bit towards the end was to use nouns instead of verbs. Borba says that kids who are invited to be helpers are far more likely to help than kids who hear the verb help. Using the noun means something positive about one's identity. If a child can identify themselves as a caring person, he'll be more likely to care about others. Our thematic goal this year is be good to each other, not do good to each other. There's that difference. Another idea that she has, create a family mantra. We chatted about this briefly, but it's important to discuss who you are as a family, your core values, a motto maybe that describes who you want to be. Keep it memorable. Keep it brief. Uh, Remember, we landed on people are more important than things in our home. If you have a family mantra, by the way, I would love to hear it. Share it with me in that survey in the show notes. The final thing that Borba speaks of is to be careful of overpraising, entitling, or overvaluing kids. This actually hampers their moral identity. We want to steer away from shaming, of course, of course, right? But it's okay to take that question of how do you think that made him feel and go a step deeper in those conversations with your children. How do you feel causing him such pain? There's that difference. Kids are resilient. They're able to hear this and not be shattered, so lean into that conversation. Now for a sneak peek into next episode's guest, I'll share a few hints to leave you guessing. She graduated from a Great Hearts High School where she met and later married her high school sweetheart. She has an extremely fluffy dog and an absolutely hairless cat. And she frequently climbs 14-foot bouldering walls. Wow, you guys are in for a treat. Can't wait for you to meet her. I look forward to connecting again as we talk about chapter three of Unselfie with our special guest. Until next time, work to build those connections with your kids one conversation at a time. Bye.